This is a special edition of the Fedora Chronicles radio show, remembering some of those we lost on September 11th, 2001. It was recorded earlier this week with John Penman and myself, Eric Render King Fisk, during the second week of September 2010. Chronicles Radio Show. I have John Penman, and uh, we're taking part in a special to remember and uh, take a moment to reflect on the events that had occurred on September 11th, 2001. Uh, John, how are you doing on your end? As best as I could, uh, considering, you know, uh, the day that's today. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I have a hard time believing um, that it was nine years ago. In many res- in many respects, it feels as if it, it happened just last year, and yet, in another aspect, it happened a lifetime ago. When that happened, I was not a father yet. I was um, only married for two years, and uh, we just moved into this house, and everything about my life has changed since then in more ways than one. And uh, it's really taught me a couple of things about myself, both good and bad, that I'll, I'll discuss later. I think how I want to start this is ask, what were you doing on that day? Where were you? Um, my kid was under a year old. Uh, I'm in Oregon, where I'm living now. Um, <clears throat> I was actually sleeping in my kid's, in the, the, the bed, which is now my kid's bed, uh, which was kind of a guest room slash my baby's, uh, baby's room and everything like that, but we had a bed in it. So I was sleeping in that bed because... Uh, my wife was in uh, our bedroom with the baby with the bassinet next to the bed and I, I was having a hard time sleeping. I didn't want to wake everybody up so I went into the other room and my wife comes in and she wakes me up and she's in tears and I go, what's going on? And she she can barely speak and I go into the bedroom, the TV's on and I, I look at the TV and I, you know, I was so surreal and I look on the TV and I see this gaping hole in one of the towers and I, I'm, I'm sitting there going, are you crazy? You're crying over a movie? I, re- it, I it, it didn't even dawn on me that this was real. And then I noticed on the bottom CNN and I was like, what? She goes, no, this happened. This is, I go, are you serious? And I, I go, oh my goodness. And then we're watching it and watching it. And we're just mesmerized by the whole thing. And then bang, a second plane hits it. And I go, all right, this is no accident. This is, this is deliberate. Someone did this to us deliberately. Um, and then, you know, we're watching more. And when that first tower collapsed, the first thing that came out of my mind was, I go, the guys are gone. And she goes, you don't know that. I go, no, Patty and the guys are gone. I said, they're rescue one. They're the elite of the fire department. 
It's not like the rescues out here, like in my own department, where a rescue out here is just two firefighters on, which is something a little bit more than an ambulance. Um, in New York, a rescue is a heavy rescue. They do everything. They're the elite of the New York Fire Department. There's one for every borough. There's five boroughs in New York City. And Rescue One is uh, the rescue company in Manhattan. And their first, their first, their, that's their first call assignment is the, the towers. They run over a hundred, uh, commercial alarms to uh, the, the World Trade Center a year. So they were very accustomed to that area and, and, and that. So they're, they're going to be down, they're going to be one of the first ones down there other than the, the local, uh, companies. Uh, and I go, I know, I said, that's what they do. They're, you know, they, they do high angle rope rescue, scuba diving, medical trauma, fires. I mean, they do everything. They save firefighters. They're the, they're kind of like the green beret of, you know, firefighting. Um, <clears throat> so I go, I know they're there. They're in those towers. I said, they're gone. I said, all my friends, they're gone. And she goes, you don't know that. You don't know that. And I go, yeah, I do. Um, and then the second one went down and I'm like, yeah, now I'm, hundred percent sure of it. And it was absolutely surreal. So just sat in there mesmerized by the TV screen like that. And then, then when the Pentagon got hit and then the other plane went down, I was like, Holy cow, we're really being bombarded by someone. This is, this is more than just a, you know, this is like a military attack on us, you know, strategically nailing several different points. And it was just absolutely, um, you know, I mean, you're shocked. You're just, you don't know what to do. You're, there's nothing you can do. You're another part of the world almost. Exactly. For me, um, I heard about it when I was uh, driving into work. And my wife had to drop her car off the local VW dealership because she was having some car problems. And I was going to meet her there at the car dealership. And I was listening to Imus in the morning Um uh, you just heard, hey, you know, there's there has been this accident, and back and th- th- with the first airplane, we all thought it was an accident. It was, well, yeah, they, it, they, it was, they, yeah. First one, you first one, you're going, oh wow, a plane accidentally hit the towers. How did that happen? It's a horrible accident. Right. And um, when I went into the dealership, I was looking for Carol, and I was walking around, and I did not see her anywhere. And I went to the front service desk, and I said. Um, I said to the, to the guy behind the counter, hey, did you, did you have, and I described my wife, and he says, no, she, she took off. She had somebody else from work, and she left you a message. She's okay. She's, and, um, and he looked at me, and he knew something was wrong. He says, man, what's going on? I says, oh, I just heard about this horrible accident. Somebody had flown a plane into the World Trade Center, and it was, and it must have been an accident. And he turns on the TV, and the only channel that we could get, because he was using the rabbit ears, um, was CBS. And when all the people who had gathered around the TV, half the people like screamed out in terror. And then the other half, people were in shock. And I just looked around and I said, who would do this? Who could do this? We were at war. And it's the closest I could probably describe this feeling to is that this is, must have been what our grandparents felt when, when Pearl Harbor was attacked. Right. And it's like I felt such a connection to uh, to my grandparents. That's what they must have felt. The, just the this the shock, and drove into work. And when I was working at the time, um, the company that I was working for provides a vital service to the government. 
And they were actually talking about evacuating the two buildings that I was working in, um, which they had eventually done. It was the uncertainty of it all and the shock, whereas if this could happen to the Pentagon, who's to say it's not going to happen to the buildings that provide the vital service to the government? Everything was just different. It was a new reality for all of us. And to find out days later that three people that I worked with indirectly were in one of the towers. And it was it was a very, very real, very terrifying event. And we didn't know what September 12th, 2001 was going to bring. Or September 11th, 2002. Or 2006. N- nobody knew. There was this uncertainty. And a um, short while later, we found out that my wife was pregnant. And we were just wondering, what kind of world are we bringing our kids into that would allow something like this to happen? And it's like, and there is some sort of normalcy that has, um, that has sort of taken over. But, but the world is just not the same anymore. John? Yeah. Oh, um, uh, in some ways, it's, you know, your, your illusion of security. And I think that's what we lost. We didn't lose any real security. We lost the illusion of how we're untouchable because we're in the borders of the U.S. And we've lost that illusion. We, we didn't lose anything. We lost a lot of things real. We lost people, good people. Uh, you know, citizens, police, fire, EMS. We lost all that. We lost people in the planes. We lost property. We lost all that. But the, and we lost a lot of things. But the thing that we really lost was the illusion, uh, of how untouchable we are. And we were touchable. You know, here it is. It was a very low tech, high concept idea. I mean, really, what did they had? Box cutters and a few guys willing to, sacrifice their, their lives for a cause, and there's nothing, I personally think there's nothing you can do to stop people who are willing to sacrifice them, their lives to take other, take other people down to make a statement. There, there really is no way to safeguard it, and we're, we, we really lost, the biggest thing we lost is our illusion of security, which in a way is almost a good thing because now we'll hopefully, with that illusion gone, better safeguard ourselves. Well, with that said, um, I want to just ask you about some of the people that you knew who died on September 11th. Um, I want to start, obviously, with um, uh, with Patty O'Keefe that you had just previously mentioned. What can you tell us about him? Patty was uh, Patty's the guy I knew most out of all. I knew about I don't know about 10 or 11 guys that were connected with Rescue One. You have to realize I, I've trained at a, uh, I was a trainer at a gym down the block and I lived down the block from Rescue One a couple of times. I actually lived in that neighborhood, 43rd Street, about three different, three different places. And I've had a connection with that firehouse because I have to actually go back a bit because my friend Barney, uh, was in engine two. Uh, from 1950 to about the mid seventies. And then after he retired several years later, they decommissioned engine two and moved rescue up, rescue one from that da- further downtown up to that firehouse. So I've had a connection with that firehouse for quite some time. And I started hanging out with those guys. Um, and they would come into the gym. I would go to the workout, maybe after shift or before shift or sometimes during shift, something like that. And they would, you know, cause their facility was a lot better than theirs. And they were just down the block. Uh, so I got to know about 10 or 11 guys there, you know, socially, uh, some better than others. And Patty, I knew the best. He was really, uh, I, I regret the most with him because he wanted me, he had a fishing boat. He lived out in Long Island. Um, and he wanted, 
he wanted me to go fishing with him. I go, man, I've never been fishing. What is this city kid going to go fishing? You know? And he's like, oh, come on. We, it'll be fun. We'll go with Warren. Warren was another guy from Rescue One and he actually, uh, he actually is still alive and he retired a few months after 9-11 because he couldn't take, uh, the job anymore. He said it wasn't fun and he missed Patty, to, uh, Patrick, uh, so much that he couldn't just do the job anymore. Um, and, um, so he, he, he was, he was, the, he was one of the guys, him and Warren was, and, uh, Kevin Shea, uh, those are the three guys who I really was close with in, in, in that house. Um, and, uh, Kevin Shea was actually injured in the first attack a few years earlier in the World Trade Center, was, uh, out of commission for a while, then had a desk duty, then he moved to an engine company in, in Manhattan. And so he was, wasn't with Rescue One. Uh, when 9-11 happened, but he was on the job and he was there and he made it out of there again. I think that guy's got nine lives because he survives everything. That guy fell several parking lot stories down, uh, during that first attack and everything and survived it. Lost, you know, messed up his nose, uh, lost his patella, uh, broke ribs. I mean, the guy broke a leg. I mean, the guy busted up like crazy, but back in the job a couple years later, you know, and, and, you know, I swear that guy could survive anything. Um, uh, but Patty was really, he was one of the guys who really encouraged me, would offer to pay the fees for taking the test of the New York Fire Department. Uh, you know, we'd work out together and, uh, he'd give me a hat or a sweatshirt or something like that. And, 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 and they'd invite me out to have lunch and, you know, they'd see me walking from one gym to another in the winter or something like that. And they go, John, what are you walking for? Get in the rig. We'll take you. And then all of a sudden, boom, I'm up in Harlem on a fire with those guys. Uh, and uh, I'm going, I was just trying to go home and I was about three blocks away, you know, but you know, I got to tell you, I was much happier to be in the rig with them going up to Harlem than going home. So uh, it, it kind of worked out, but it was, you know, I, I, Patty was a good, good man. He uh, left behind a wife and two kids. I think those two kids are, grown now you know they're probably in like 19 20 21 something like that now um he was i think he was 43 or 42 something like that when he passed uh he was just a very down-to-earth nice guy to hang out with i think anybody would just be very easy to sit down and shoot the breeze with the guy he was really uh just a very down-to-earth family man Okay, so, um, John, next on the list we have uh, John Moran, Battalion 49. What can you say about him? Well, yeah, John John was part of Rescue One when I knew him. Uh, he was a very quiet guy, very nice guy. Uh, he went up the ranks pretty quickly, became Battalion Chief uh, of Battalion 49, like you mentioned, and that's where he was when uh, – that's where he was at when uh, 9-11. He was Battalion Chief, so we lost a, a, a good officer there, a good chief. Um, just – just a very nice, you know, I didn't hang out. I mean, like I said, the three guys I hung out with most was Kevin, uh, Warren, and Patty, Patty and everything. I see John, and, you know, you walk in, and I was so used to walking into that firehouse. Here it is before my days as a firefighter and walking in there like I owned the place. Um, and he'd walk, you know, walk by, and, hey, John, how's it going? And, and, you know, I didn't know him as an officer. He was, he was an officer. He was just John, you know. Um, um but uh, he, he moved up the ranks pretty quickly. He wasn't at the house that long uh, when I uh, was around, hanging around with the uh, Rescue One. But uh, I know he's married, and I think he had a, I think he had family as well. Yeah. You know, again, very sad for family to be losing 
someone. He wasn't, he, again, he was around my age that I am now. You know, he was a young guy. Um, next one we have on the list is, I'm not even sure, I don't want to um, disrespect him by mispronouncing his na- name, um, M-O-J-I-C-A. How would you pronounce that? I think it's Dennis Mojica, but I could be wrong. I, I never called him by his last name. I don't, you know, I just called him Dennis, so that's what it was. To me, Dennis was a little practical joker. He loved to really irritate, you know, uh, get on people's nerves by playing jokes on them. Uh, or not, I'm going to say get on their nerves, but he really, uh, there's one thing that he did. He went out and bought because uh, here it is in New York City, they're black turnouts, black helmets, you know, predominantly you know, like that. And so he went out and got a like brown, which is kind of West Coast turnouts. That's what what I, I was accustomed to wearing out here in the West Coast. And he bought a pair of those and he wore those on calls and he just drove people crazy doing. They go, "What are you doing?" And he just loved irritating, you know, you know, messing with them. Uh, he became a lieutenant, uh, I think, after I uh, uh, moved out here. So he was a lieutenant at Rescue One. Um, um, when uh, 9-11 happened. Uh, but he was a, I just remember him just always having a big smile on his face with that big mustache of his and, and uh, being a bit of a practical joker. That's how I kind of remember Dennis. Excellent. Uh, Captain Terrence Hattan. Hatton, yeah. Hatton. Hatton, or Manny, they call him Manhattan. Uh, uh, they actually renamed the 43rd Street uh, Hatton after him. Um, you know, I saw him there at the house. I didn't hang out with him all a lot, but he was, you know, he, he kind of, to me, was kind of intimidating, even though he's a very nice guy and I don't like that. But here it is. He was just, he just had this air of, you know, he can handle anything. And he just, he was in control. He was the guy in charge. He was, you know, he, he, he was always teaching. That's how I ever always remember people talking about him. Uh, his wife worked at the time, um, with uh, Giuliani and I thought his wife was extremely brave in that interview she they, they did with her shortly after 9/11 because he had a little boy when this happened and he didn't even know that his wife was pregnant with their second child she found out the day after um and I thought it was very brave of her because she said that uh uh and this is this hurts um that she was kind of angry at him because he chose strangers over his own family and, but she knew that's who he was and she understood it and she accepted it. But at the same breath, she's, and I thought it was very brave of her to be that honest about her emotions. Um, but, uh, without hesitation, that's, um, that's just him. That's all of those guys there. You know, that was their job. That's what they, they do. That was, you know, they were going to go save lives and that's what they did. Uh, but I thought it was very brave of her to be that open and honest in that interview like that about her emotions, which, I don't know how many people would be that honest. Yeah, amazingly so. That is that is really. Um, I'm getting a little misty. I just thinking about that myself. Um, but how were they to know? How were they to know that when they were heading towards the towers that um, they, knew. they knew? They knew. They knew. Yeah, I was told one of the guys from Rescue One. I, I think it was Patrick Brown, which is the next person on the list here, Captain Patrick Brown, which was on uh, ladder three. It might have been him, but, um, oh, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm making a mistake. It was another Brown who, who, uh, he, he put it up, posted up on his website, uh, that he was talking to, um, Captain Hatton. Uh, and Hatton goes, hey, we gotta go up. He goes, he gave him a kiss, kiss on the cheek and a hug, and he says, I love you, brother. Probably will not see you again. Gotta go. And went, like, he, he just knew. I just don't know how you can do that. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, uh, 
I would like to say that I'd be that brave, but I, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a question I cannot answer unless put in that situation. I don't know how many people, but those guys were each and every one of them were, they knew that this was not, you know, there's a saying that every firefighter says when they leave another firefighter, I'll see you at the big one. Uh, they don't say that anymore in New York because that was the big one. That and was it. That was the big one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so like that. Yeah. Wow. Um, Captain Patrick Brown, Captain ladder three. Brown, yeah, ladder, he, he moved up to the ladder three. He was with rescue one when, when, when I knew, knew him and everything. He was in that rescue with, uh, Kevin Shea and Patty, Patty O'Keefe and a couple other guys at rescue one at the, the, the Times building, uh, many years back that actually was on, broadcasted on, uh, what they call a show called Firehouse by the guy who does the, um, the, oh, I forgot the guy's name who does the, uh, the one about the, the chasing down, uh, criminals. I forgot his name. Um, oh my goodness. Anyway, they did this special on the fire called Firehouse on Rescue One. Um, and they showed, they went in and they reenacted and they showed what they did on this daring rope rescue. It was in like Time or Life magazine. You saw Kevin Shea and they called him Spider-Man because he did a 12 story rope rescue. And they saved two guys. Patrick Brown was one of them, and and Kevin Shea was another one. Very brave person, and um, and of course that's all of them. Uh, really nice guy. Again, quiet. You know, you see him out of you, you wouldn't think anymore. He just the average Joe. But you know, when the time came, you know, just like the rest of them, you know, did, paid the ultimate sacrifice for a total stranger. And finally on the list here, we have firefighter Joseph. Angelini, senior, rescue one. Yeah, he's the oldest firefighter in New York Fire. He had the longest time. He, had, he was about four months away from 40 years on the job. He was in his 60s. They said that guy trained his last year like it was his first year. Age did not slow him down. They said, yeah, maybe when he took the, the Metro or, uh, home, that, yeah, maybe he'd fall asleep on the train or something like that because he was exhausted from the shift. But during the shift, the guy worked just as hard as the, the guy coming in new off out of the academy. The saddest thing about uh, losing Joseph is that he was so close to retirement, but he also died with his 43-year-old son, uh, Joseph C., uh, Jr., which was they both died in those towers. And I feel really bad for his wife because not only did she lose her husband, but she lost her son at the same day. That That is really, you know, he was just... A little guy, but man, he, he was a little dynamo and, you know, good man, all of them. You know, I feel real bad for her probably the most. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, just, just an amazing story about, um, over and over again, just giving everything up for, uh, for, for strangers and, uh, in the face of the disaster and, uh, um, it's humbling. It really is genuinely humbling. It's like um, if any one of us were called to the scene like that, how would we react? And the thing that um, I've always admired about um, firefighters, um, people who work on ambulances and uh, and the police, is that um, they go in the direction that everybody else is running from. And uh, it's a testament to their uh, their. Uh, See, I can't even speak. I just you hear my, these stories. 
I had a battalion chief uh, tell me once. He says, he says you, um, he says you're you're heroes because of the willingness to put on the uniform and to do the job. He goes, it starts there, uh, and I think that's what these um, six gentlemen are, and 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 all the firefighters and police and uh, EMS and all everybody. I mean, even the civilians there. You hear you know, those stories about people where you know they had coworker who was in a wheelchair, and they like, well, we're not gonna, we could have ran down the stairs and got away from it, but we're gonna, we're gonna. The person in the wheelchair is going to slow us down, but we're not going to leave them behind. We're going to grab them and help them down the stairs and get out the building if we can. And, you know, you hear about the people who, you know, bum rushed the, the, the terrorists on the plane and diverted it from its target and, and, and they tanked the plane in, in, into the, in the fields and everything like that, saving, uh, people. And, uh, they're, you know, every, every last person. And, you know, I got to say, as being a, former resident of New York City, and I, I still consider myself a New Yorker, even though I haven't lived there in almost 10 years. Um, um, I was proud to be a New Yorker that day. You hear a lot of people like, oh, they're very rude, they're obnoxious, they're always on the go, they're, you know, they're very kind of cutthroat. And, but here it is, uh, I don't know any other city that could handle it as well as they did, uh, and I was very proud to be a New Yorker because that day everybody kind of helped each other out, and they... You know, they put they put aside the hustle and bustle of the day uh, and and helped each other out. And I was proud to be a New Yorker that day. Um, and the biggest thing I want to kind of before I forget is that uh, it was a tragic day. And it's kind of sad kind of going over all the things. And, I, I, you know, I miss the guys that I used to know and, and, and see um, uh, back then. But the biggest thing I wanted to kind of remember is that it was uh, like, former mayor Giuliani said it was the single biggest rescue ever and they saved a lot of people the tragedy would have been a lot worse if these people didn't do their jobs that they were trained to do so that's the thing i you know i would want people to remember that it was the single biggest rescue you know they saved i don't know i forget what the number was like 24 or 25,000 people uh you know it would have been worse it would have been a lot worse have you been back to New York City since September 11th, 2001? No, I have not. Um, I have a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I don't kind of fly anymore. Uh, I get really bad migraines when flying. Um, and I think the biggest reason is, is that my desire, because I know uh, the city has changed quite a bit since I lived there, and I think it, it'll be really painful. I know somewhere in the future I'm destined to go back to visit, but, um, I just don't know when I just, I just don't, I don't know. Maybe it's partly because I'm still angry. Part of me is still hurt. Part of me is still sad about the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, somewhere there, I, I will be going back to uh, see my city again. Um, but it's going to be a rough day. I know it. Absolutely. Rough. Absolutely. Um, a couple of years ago, I went to New York city for the first time in ages and I did go to ground zero where they are, preparing the area to rebuild something. I don't know what it is that they're going to build. I don't know what design that they have, um, that they have settled on. I, I think it's a Freedom Tower, but I'm not really at all sure. Um, but I think that what's more important um, or just as important as remembering those people is to do something with that property, do something with Ground Zero and let the world know that um, we'll be back. We will rebuild. 
bigger if possible, but we will be back and we will, um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, me personally, I would love them to put the towers back up, uh, make them one story. They were 110 stories, make them 111, put them, put a memorial on each of the top floor of each one of those. Uh, just don't build them out of trust construction. That's all I ask. You know, I, same that, here. That's a, that's a firefighter's, uh, worst nightmare. So, uh, just, you know, I don't think there's a firefighter in that city who liked the construction of those two towers, but I want my skyline back the way it was. Two towers would be fine by me, John. Well, there was, there was more than just those two buildings that went down, but the World Trade Center is several buildings, but I want all of them back up. I want the skyline back the way it was. Um, I'm not the guy in charge, so I'm sure better minds are going to be coming up with something good, you know, I hope. I can't wait to take my kids there and say, this is the American spirit. So with that, John, I really have to um, thank you once again. Um, this has been a phenomenal show. Thank you for all you do. Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. God bless.